there's a fight scene where the hero has a zombie hand, right? Which is their proof in his hand while he's sword fighting the villain and going through portals of different movies. <laughs> And they end up in Nosferatu while he's about to bite two lesbians making out in the bed. One of them is a young Drew Barrymore. You're making this up. Waxwork 2, baby. (laughs) Movie of the week. I'm recording, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, boys, ghouls, and non-binary fiends. This is the Crypt Keepers. I'm Spooky Bruce. And I'm Horror Ryan. This is a show where we examine the HBO horror anthology series, Tales from the Crypt, Each episode, we take a deep dive into one episode from the TV series and the comic that inspired it. This week, we're taking a look at episode three of season one, Dig That Cat, He's Real Gone, based on the story in Haunt of Fear number 21. (laughs) So I I feel like I haven't seen you in a while. Yeah. It's it's been been a a long time. It's been about three minutes. It's been about three minutes since. recordings. (laughs) So, you know, we're having a good time here. Yes. I'm going to bring it down. It's a fun day. It's a fun day. Why would, why would you bring it down? I'm going to bring it down. I have to make a correction. Okay. Okay. So, in the very first episode of this series. Of this podcast. The Crypt Keepers. Right. We talked about Frederick Wortham. Fuck that guy. Okay. So, yes. Frederick Wortham wrote the book. Seduction, Seduction of the Innocent. Which was one of the contributing factors to the destruction of EC and horror comics in general. Right. In the there, 50s. Was, there was not horror comics for a generation, 20 years, until Marvel and DC got their balls back. And why is he being reintroduced into this episode, <laughs> you son of a bitch? So, I have to, because I want to be fair. Okay. He is a boogeyman in the comic book industry. Right. right. And always will be. Right. However, we contain multitudes. As you have told me before, we are yin-yang and yin-yangs. Right. right. We have good, we have bad. Frederick Wortham, yes, like I said, boogeyman in the comic book industry. However, he's also a minor hero of the civil rights movement. What? (laughs) So, at a time when there's a lot of prejudice against blacks in America, he opened up a psychiatric practice in Harlem to treat young black men. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then, uh, through his studies of psychology and, and institutions, his findings about black versus white psychology mm-hmm. helped end segregation in the United States. His studies were specifically cited in overturning school segregation in, in the Brown versus the Board of Education Supreme Court case. Oh, wow. Yeah. So okay. we have okay. to applaud him where we can't right. applaud him. We yeah, can't just. For sure. We can't. <laughs> Is that a truck? I don't know Wait, what that on. was. <laughs> That's a motorcycle going through my neighborhood. <laughs> that sounded like the end of the world in the headphones. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> so we have to be fair. Right. And we have to applaud him. He destroyed horror comics. The comics. Helped civil rights. Helped civil rights, right. Like I said, he's a boogeyman in one aspect. He's a hero in another. So. Well, on this show, we always like to give people second chances. Right, right. So good on you. Yeah. Frederick. Fuck you, good job. I'm pour a Diet Mountain Dew out for you, bud. <laughs> so, today. Yes, today. Well, not today, but what has been going on in your horror journey? Horror journey, recently? man. You know, I'm, I've become a real big fan of faux documentaries. Not, hmm. not found footage. Okay. But horror movies that are set up and told like a documentary. I'm new to that whole okay. thing. Um, a really good one I watched recently was called Howard's Mill. And it's about disappearances on a farm in Tennessee. 
right? And they the the documentary crew follows a husband who has lost his wife. She's disappeared in the middle of daylight, mm-hmm. just vanished. And they follow him looking for her and kind of tell the story of other people who have vanished on this farm, right? It adds, to me, it adds this uh, heightened sense of realism to right. it. Another good one is called Butterfly Kisses. Which, <laughs> aww, uh, which explores an urban legend and people who are dying in associated in association with this urban legend. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, re- the both of them are really good. Highly recommend them. Wow. Yeah. Well, they already heard my story. <laughs> right. Waxwork. Waxworks. Yeah. Fucked up. I think I think Waxworks is your recommendation for this episode. That is my right? recommendation. Is Wax Waxwork one and two? And the weird thing is, guess what's not in Waxwork two? Wax. Wax. <laughs> at all. But the movie does end with a hip-hop music video featuring the actors from the movie filmed in the rooms where they filmed the scenes from the movie. Huh. And they rap about the movie. Was this made in the 90s? Yeah. yeah I think it's it was like, like 1990, every, 1991. Every good 90s movie had to have a rap song associated with it. And they're cool and hip. It's a lost art. Do you think they need to bring it back? Oh, they need to bring it back. They need to have a movie that's a documentary mm-hmm. one like you just did. Right. But out of nowhere, they're just like... <laughs> Spaceship aliens. <laughs> Bruce likes it. So actually, they have brought it back. Right? Oh, really? Yeah. So Psycho Gorman, which we both love, highly mm. recommend Psycho mm-hmm. Gorman. It ends the post credits ends with a rap oh, about the sweet. movie. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I we watched Psycho Gorman recently again, and I made the thing where uh, or the analogy basically it's Power Rangers meets Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Right. And yeah, that's yeah. good. Yeah, so that fits. It's so fun. Another recommendation for this episode is Psycho Gore, Psycho Man, Gore Man, yeah. Waxwork 1 and 2. If you grew up in the 90s with those kind of TV shows like Power Rangers, you will love Psycho Gore Man. Oh, yeah, right. for sure. So today, I'm excited. Okay. Because and we're going to be covering Dig That Cat, He's Real Gone. And like I said in our previous podcast, me and my girlfriend Natalie are watching the series just for fun, mm-hmm. not taking notes. Mm-hmm. We're currently in season three. Okay. For research purposes, I'm going back and watching alone with a notepad, just writing down notes. When I watched this episode with Natalie, we just thought it was okay. Mm-hmm. Watching it again, I fucking love it. It fell in love. It, it grew on you like gangrene. I'm going to call this episode The Dad Joke Chronicles. Because <laughs> this is, it has the most dark dad jokes yes ever and you it said has, something very important before we recorded about this episode it has great one-liners like Absolutely. It, but it's also i have a ton of them written down by the way it's also very cynical mm-hmm. it is pretty awesome i'm yeah. very excited i have never seen the, the we'll get out of the way now this was directed by richard donner and i've never seen richard donner even in the omen he was never this cynical Richard Donner's in the episode as well. He is. He's in the crowd. So is his cousin. We'll get to that in a moment when we talk about the episode. Uh-huh. All right. So should we go to the synopsis? Do it. Directed by Richard Donner and starring Joe Pantoliano. <laughs> Shit. Ma-da, ma-da, ma-da. <laughs> Directed by Richard Donner and starring Joe Pantoliano and Robert Wool. A circus sideshow performer, Ulrich the Undying, renowned for an act where he dies only to be resurrected, recounts his life story. Once an alcoholic living in a cardboard box... He was recruited by a mad scientist for an experimental procedure to transplant a cat's nine lives gland. That's a real thing. Into a human. That's not a real thing. That's not a real, <laughs> thing. Not a real thing. The operation a success. Ulrich and the scientists join a circus to raise money for the scientists' experiments. 
Overcome by greed, Ulrich murders the scientist in a car crash so he no longer has to split the money. Later, Ulrich is literally stabbed in the back by his lover and sideshow, sideshow assistant, who robs him of his money. On what he thinks is his eighth life, Ulrich plans one last stunt, being buried alive for 24 hours, and strong arms the sideshow promoter for all the profits. Only when he is buried does Ulrich realize he's miscounted his lives. He is on his ninth and final life. Dun dun dun! dun. We know Richard Donner, right? He directed The Omen, mm-hmm. uh, one of the producers on Tales from the Crypt. Yep. Uh, and uh, near and dear to my heart, he directed the first two Superman movies with Christopher Reeve. Oh, two and a half, because he was fired halfway through filming the second one. Oh, right. But recently, uh, not recently, within the past 10, 15 years, they released a Richard Donner cut of the film. Oh, which by the way is great. I mean, Superman 2 is a classic of the superhero genre, right. one of the best, greatest superhero movies ever made, right? Uh, but in his cut, it ends the exact same way as Superman 1. He reverses time oh. and resets everything, which is so which is so cheap. Right. You like, can't use the same ending twice. Right. Right. It just reminds me of the Hammer Horror films mm-hmm. that I'm diving into. That right. They're so good. The mm-hmm. set pieces are great. There's like saltiness with the sexy ladies. Mm-hmm. There's danger with the werewolves and vampires and stuff. Almost every movie ends with God is good. Yeah, yeah. It's like eh. oh fuck. <laughs> One of the worst endings I ever saw in a Hammer horror film. I think it may have been the Satanic Rites of Dracula. You'll correct me on this. Where Dracula dies because he went through a thorn bush. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> he does. Another one is where he gets struck by lightning. Yeah. He's like about to like attack this woman and just God wins. Nope. <laughs> That's it. God is good. <laughs> There's another one. Um, it's where Christopher Lee plays like an occult expert. Uh, the, the Devil, Devil Rides, Rides out. out. Yeah. It's a really good movie. Mm-hmm. And he tries to save his friends from, from a devil worshiper. The, from basically the devil. Because yeah. there's a really cool scene where the devil actually shows up. Is He's it, like half man, half goat. It doesn't have like multiple eyes or something. Yeah. Yes. And super creepy. And it's so good. And then just at the very end, they like, they get divine intervention. Yeah. It's like St. Michael came and helped us. Right. right. And they were just like, oh, God, it's good. <laughs> well, in credits. Right. That's it. So, you know, like in Superman 2, Superman's good. Right. Like, eh, look at that. <laughs> look he at just that. did the same trick. Good right. job. Anyway, I think we got a little bit off track there. We did. You're going to have so much fun editing this <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, no, no. I'm not editing that out. Oh, God. No. Uh, and let's see. We have... Uh, do you want to take the actors? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Train Wreck, the musical. <laughs> this is uh, Dig That Cat. He's real gone. Can't, once again, uh, June 10th, 1989 was the air date. Directed by Richard Donner. Mm-hmm. Written by Terry Black and Stephen Dodd. We have Joe Pantoliano as Ulrich, the Undying... Thank you. We had a lot of trouble with his name. I don't know why, because we've heard it a thousand times throughout Daredevil. the years. Yeah, he's been Ulrich in Daredevil, the right. reporter. Right. I was going to bring that up. Another right, thing right. near and dear to us, in particular you, being a big Daredevil fan. Right. 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 Um, he's he's kind of not good in that movie. <laughs> but I will say the MVP, my MVP for uh-huh. this episode, is Robert Wool as the Barker, the Carnival Barker. Yes. yes. He's so good in his slimy lines you will hear a bunch today right we also have kathleen york as corley the girlfriend and showgirl okay i have no idea who she is and the reason i have no idea who she is they have an imdb listing for her okay right but the actress they have listed for her was born in 1975 which would have meant that she was 13 or 14 years old when she was in this episode 
Wow. And the other credits they have for her so is like clearly not the same woman. A pilot in 1981. So clearly not the same woman. They've gotten some Where wires crossed. Go? Right. Or or we have like a the picture of Dorian Gray thing going on here where she never ages, right? <laughs> but going back to Joe Pantoliano yeah. for a moment. Uh, yeah, he was he was in The Matrix. He was Cypher. He yep. was the guy who betrayed the crew of the Nebuchadnanzar. Yep. Right? Uh, let's see, he was in The Sopranos. Great role in The Sopranos. Yeah, I remember uh, that. Yeah. He's, been, he's been in a ton of stuff since like the 1970s. Yeah. He's one of those guys that, you'll, oh, I recognize him. I just don't know who he is. Yeah, I right. think Tales from the Crypt has a lot of those. Yeah. But he's definitely a great actor, and he does a wonderful job mm-hmm. in this, for sure. You can definitely tell he's young. He's younger in this, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Robert Wool, I think he's hilarious. He's great. Everything he does. He's one of those guys who, like, you hire him because he's Robert Wool. He's not been in the, a ton of stuff. Yeah. But you get him because, oh, there's Robert Wool. Yeah. He's right? going to say something smart ass. He's going to say something smart ass. He's really great doing something smart or saying and doing things. His that are delivery smart-ass. of one liners is, is yes. second uh, to none. Also, like I said, not a ton of stuff, but really memorable stuff. He was in, like, uh, Good Good Morning Vietnam. He's in Bill Durham. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had a one man show that I really liked called uh, Assume the Position with Robert Wool, oh, which I've basically he it. talks about history. Which, you know, I know yeah, you're a big fan of history, history but he talks about how history is like pulp culture. A lot of it is manufactured. What you think is history is being just being sold to you. Oh, wow. It's not the real story of what happened. Let's right? check it out. I've never yeah, heard of it. Yeah, I think they have like two or three parts to it. Oh, sweet. Uh, he's also on a TV show called Arliss, which mm-hmm. uh, he, he played a um, he played the title character where he was like a slimy sports agent. Yep. Right or the president of a sports a- sports agency, and uh, I think Joe Pantoliano was actually in an episode of that. So there's kind of a crossover here. Oh, cool. There are some WCW guys who were in it. Oh yeah. Right. I think like Eric Bischoff and uh, Macho Man played two of his clients, Ooh, yeah. and then he was on Nitro, playing Arliss in a <sighs> guest commentary spot, like as it, as if he was scouting people. Oh my god. <laughs> WCW, what happened? Dude? Right, you know, this is the same WCW that had a RoboCop, same and Sting, Chucky. and Chucky. Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, we have, and well, lastly, we have Gustav Vintas. Don't know anything. He he's been Dr. in some Manfred. stuff, but nothing I recognized. No, no, I'm not familiar with him at all. But he does a pretty good job. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing: he's got a German accent, mm-hmm. vague, vaguely German, vaguely German. Mm-hmm. He has a Luger in the episode. Right. And he's doing experiments. Right. Is he a Nazi? I think the implication is that he is a Nazi. Now, the comic it was based on came out in 1953. Right. Right. The specter of Nazism and the horrors of Nazism were fresh in the minds of the the people who wrote these stories. Like the evil German stereotype was used a lot. Yes. Bald with a monocle. Mm -hmm. Now... At no point do they say he's German right, in right. the comic. There, his name is Manfred, and there's a, a bit about that we can go into later on. But there's no indication that he is actually German. He just has that look. In the comic, he's bald, the stereotype of a Monocle. mad scientist. Yeah. Right. So we think he's a fucking Nazi. Yeah, he's... Yeah, it's... it's if They don't say he's a Nazi, but they want you to think he's a Nazi. We ready to get in this? We're ready to get in this. We're getting this, this bitch. It opens with, once again, a somber Crypt Keeper, because season one, Crypt Keeper, mm-hmm. very low voice. And one thing that is really cool is, as he's talking to you to introduce the episode, he walks over to pick up the book where he shows you the story. Mm-hmm. 
which is super cute because he's really, really short. Yes. And I think that was the first time that the Crypt Keeper actually like walked. Every other thing he every other segment he's been in, he's just been sitting down. And there's already. a lot more articulation with his hands. I think they actually had someone sitting behind him to right. do the hand movements. Oh yeah. His hands move a lot in this episode yes. when he's talking. It was very good. It was very cool. He's cute. He's a cute little guy. <laughs> and he says Ulrich the Undying is dying to put on a show for you. The show opens up to a carnival. There's a bunch of people there, and the Barker hypes up the act, the tragedy of death, and the miracle of resurrection. Little side note, director Richard Donner is in the crowd cheering. Yes. Now, I I did not. Robert Wool's good. He's doing what he's supposed to do. Oh, yeah. He's hamming it up. He's having a, he's having a great time. Gather around. Gather around. Right. I hated the camera work. Here. It's very frantic. Very frantic. It's these close-up, angled shots. Right, everything's tilted. It's swooping back and forth. I hated it. I hate it so much. It's what directors do when they want to be quirky. Yeah, right? I can see that. Or they want to want to be cool. I hated it. Richard Donner, you know better than this. God damn it. <laughs> and he says to the crowd that Ulrich is going the next act is Ulrich is going to be buried alive for 12 hours. Ulrich bows. He goes inside the coffin and he shuts. This is a really cool moment. Where... Is it twelve or is it twenty-four? I think I may have wrote twenty. No, I didn't actually I wrote write twelve. I didn't write anything in the synopsis. I apologize. So it's twelve. It's twelve. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Regardless, I mean, it's, yeah. You know, you're yeah. dead either way. So Ulrich goes into the coffin, bows to the crowd, and they shut the coffin on top of him. Ulrich lights a candle and he starts to speak to us, and he he says, "Yeah, I'll be dead, but I won't stay that way." I remember the day when it all began, and it went into a flashback. Where this German, maybe Nazi, Dr. Manfred, finds Ulrich as a bum. He's living in a cardboard box. He has a uh, flask in his hand. Right. He offers him his life savings for Ulrich in exchange for a, quote, small operation. Then they flash to the lab in which Dr. Manfred shows Ulrich a, quote, I love this part. He goes, this is a CAT scan. (laughs) Right. In which is a CAT scan of a cat. (laughs) And he's saying that his operation of moving the gland that gives a cat his nine lives can be implanted into Ulrich's brain, giving him those lives. Ulrich says... The science is sound here. 100%. Yeah. I'm, I, I would never question week. this. I have a, I'm going to Berlin right. to get an operation next week. Okay. I'm going to continue this. Let's yeah. do it. Oh, and this is a really cool part where Ulrich says, well, if this don't work, and then Manfred interrupts him and he goes... If it doesn't work, you have no complaint. That's a great, like, double entendre. Right. right. Excellent. Excellent. That's really great. So as, as soon as he says that, they th- this episode has a lot of flashes. Mm-hmm. It goes, bam, and then it just goes to yeah, the next that's thing. Yeah, they, they would flash, and sometimes they would repeat things. Right. I've written flash next to so many things because it basically flashes on the screen, and then it starts the next scene. Mm-hmm. So it flashes, and we forward to post-op. Mm-hmm. where Ulrich wakes and he has a monster headache. The doctor says that the operation was success and shows Ulrich the dead cat from the right. operation. This is funny because this is when Ulrich gets skeptical. He's like, hey, wait, how do you know this will work? He didn't ask that before. Right. <laughs> I mean, he's a bum. He's just trying to get some money for some right. booze. He doesn't give a shit. So, and I, and I think I said in the last podcast that we recorded where I'm going to have a line of the night. Okay, yeah. So here we are, baby. And the doctor pulls out a Luger. He wiggles his head back and forth, and he goes, "This will kill you." <laughs> and plugs and him right in the shoots forehead. Shoots him right in the forehead. <laughs> I just love that. This will kill you. It's so funny. So he kills him, and I even wrote, shoots him in with a gun in his head. A Luger Nazi question mark. 
<laughs> so Dr. Manfred gives uh, Ulrich money after he wakes up. So he's dead. The doctor right. says, oh, you're, you're dead. He checks his right. pulse. He's dead. Ulrich wakes up. Manfred gives him the money saying thank you, mm -hmm. but then offers him an opportunity right. that they could both be partners to try to get even more money for the doctor's scientific research and for Ulrich's alcohol <laughs> habit. So this is the thing. The doctor's plan here is not to sell this to the military mm -hmm. or anyone that might find it useful. His plan is, let's join the circus. But can he, is that another thing where there's some backstory that we don't know? Because maybe he can't go to the federal government. Ooh. Because he's a Nazi. Well, you know, we imported Nazis after World War II in the thing called Project Operation Paperclip. Paperclip. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, if he, <laughs> that's a good possibility. I didn't think of that, that he can't go to the military. Right. Or any authority with this. And for some reason in this story, people who work at the carnival make a fuck ton of money. Right. And also this carnival, it's kind of timeless. It looks like an old time stereotypical 1920s 1930s bearded ladies bearded ladies the clown costumes the strongman costume whatever one thing i noticed in the beginning when we when we go through the circus right there is a kid dressed as a clown mm -hmm. and he has this worried look on his face and there's an adult clown pushing him along with a hand on his back and pointing in a certain direction and pushing the kid in that way i never <laughs> it's really weird go, kid What's that? Here's your new job, kid. <laughs> yeah, right. Or the kid's doomed, right? <laughs> We've never heard from that little kid. It's, it's, really, it's really weird because the costumes are not modern day. Right. Right. But everything else in the show indicates it's modern day. In fact, I think they even re make a reference to someone being the archery champion of 1987. That is true. Right. And they yep. make a uh, reference to Roman Polanski. Yep. Right. So this definitely the, uh, the is car, taking place in the eighties. Right. The car that they drive at a certain point, we'll get to that in a moment. Right. Uh, is a at the time newer model car. But the circus itself seems it, like it's from the thirties. Right. Yeah, that is weird. I never noticed that. So he offers this opportunity for Ulrich to make some more money if they become a satchel attraction where he just <laughs> right. dies repeatedly. Because mm -hmm. he has eight lives left. Because one was killed yeah, right in the forehead. So yeah, we're on the right. countdown. And then it flashes again to Dr. Manfred convincing the carnival barker to have Ulrich as the main act of the circus. They're down. The circus is down on its luck. Like no one's showing mm -hmm. up. Then it goes again to the next scene, which is that he does his first act as a carnival performer in which he's sitting in a water tank and he's going to be drowned essentially mm -hmm. to death in the knee. Right, and they kind of make a rest. dig at Houdini here. Like, not even Houdini would attempt this. Yes. Which, fuck you. I'm a big Houdini fan, by the way. <laughs> I love Houdini. Uh, Props to Houdini. Yeah, he has a great, amazing life story. He is that. Uh, he is. He is the stereotype of the American dream. He's a person that came over here with nothing, and right. he made himself. And right. one of my dreams, and I think I may have told you this before, is if I were to ever win the lottery, I'm buying his house in New York City. Hell yeah. Yeah. So his first death is sitting in a water tank, and the carnival barker hypes up everybody in the crowd. Mm -hmm. it's not that crowd's not even that big; like it's like twenty right. people. Mm -hmm. But as the water fills, a showgirl taps on the glass, <laughs> and she asks Ulrich if she would like dinner. Mm -hmm. He can't hear her, so she writes with lipstick right. "dinner" later, but she misspells it in his diner. Yes, she yes. says "diner" later. Completely unprofessional. The man's at work. I mean, Don't come hit on. on him now. He's about to right. drown. Right. So, which is pretty hilarious. So he kind of nods, and then uh, obviously in a couple minutes, he just drowns. He dies. Mm -hmm. 
the crowd gets restless when he doesn't resurrect mm -hmm. after he dies. Coralie, who is the showgirl, she starts to freak out and she yells at Manfred as the crowd is leaving. They're like, mm -hmm. oh shit, we just saw this guy just die. That's not fun. Well, Ulrich immediately wakes up and this almost got line of the night, but he wakes up and he dips his head out of the tank and he goes, what's your name, honey? Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. And the Barker yells, resurrection as the crowd starts to come back to wit to see that oh he is alive and that's when he becomes a star one of the things in this scene was when the doctor manfred he checks to make sure that ulrich is dead when they don't actually show it this show him walking away with the stethoscope and he pulls it out of his ears and there's water shooting out of the oh, there's water shooting out of the earbuds of the stethoscope yes. he's like he's dead <laughs> it's so funny the next scene is Ulrich and Manfred splitting up the money. Mm -hmm. And they said that they got $10,000. And right. in my notes, I said, what? They got $10,000 from a carnival, which there was like 12 people in that room? What <laughs> right. the fuck? Right. And he said that 60% of the profits go to Manfred's scientific research. Mm -hmm. I think more of an implication that he is a Nazi. Mm -hmm. Yes. For sure. You were well, talking about Robert Wool in this scene. Right, he has a terrible Hitler slash Charlie uh, Chaplin, Chaplin mustache, yes. right, and a zebra print shirt and a top hat. So I don't know what he they would were be the hottest guy on the planet right now. <laughs> Very hipsterish. Oh my god, right? he would own a brewery. I don't know what they were trying to pull off. I know they were trying to show him when he was poorer. The, I think they even talk about the circus at this point is Donald's luck. But for, I don't know why they decided to put him in that terrible outfit. His <laughs> mustaches. Fake mustaches throughout the whole episode. They're horrible. Legendary. We <laughs> differ on that. So Ulrich agrees that yes, 60% is going to go to your research. So he grabs one of the $100 bills and says, I got a date. And he walks away with Coralie. Then it goes back to Ulrich in the coffin. And he says, that's what I'll say about old Doc Manfred. He wasted no time getting me killed again. Then it flashes to his second death, his next performance, which he dressed like a cowboy and he was being hung. Right. And they even, they say he's he's being hung because he's hung. Jesus. Like they they uh, they outright say that he's being hung because he was seducing the women of the town, basically. <laughs> they made a backstory. For they made a backstory for why he's being hung. Right. And so uh, Coralie doesn't want to pull the lever because she's, oh, I don't want to do it. And he goes, fine, right. I'll do it. Bam. And yeah. he gets it and he dies. And when he gets, when he actually resurrects, he's used another life. And then he sounds like a 60-year-old smoker. <laughs> it's he's the like, worst oh, it's really voice. great. I can't wait to get my profits. But it's high-pitched. Like, he smoked a ton of cigarettes and then inhaled helium. Yes. Right? <laughs> I can't get that. I can't get a high voice we, like that. No, but it's very much like this. We can't do that. No, I don't think that's humanly possible. <laughs> so... <laughs> and so basically right when he gets the money from dr manfred he just goes into his trailer the red light comes on and it starts to shake so he right. smashes from Coralie right, right after his performance. and she's i can't remember she's screaming something something ridiculous ridiculous yeah and so it goes back to him in the coffin and but in ulrich looks at us the audience and says i figured it was time to boost my profits <laughs> and so the third death he gets in a car with Manfred, and they're driving, talking about how much money they're going to make and all that stuff, and how successful they are. And Ulrich says, I'm going to have to breach our contract. You're about to have a terrible car accident. Ulrich speeds up and crashes into a wall, and he and then it pans right back to him in the coffin. He says, no hard feelings, Doc. <laughs> it's good. 
It's funny because that was, it just happens, right? Yes. It just happens and it's not brought up again. This was a more significant moment in the comic and we'll get to that in a moment. Oh, I got yeah. things to say. Okay. For sure about that. But absolutely you're right. So Manfred's dead because Ulrich doesn't want to share profits anymore. Mm-hmm. He's the one dying anyway. Right. So so it flashes to the next death. And so he actually get, just starts doing more spectacles. Mm-hmm. He's part in, and now he's getting more of the profits. This is probably one of my favorites where the fourth death is electrocution. <laughs> In which the carnival barker picks a name from a bowl for a member of the crowd to pull the lever. Right. And it's this little old lady. It's this little old lady with missing teeth. She looks like the sweetest lady on the planet. And Corley yells, congratulations, you get to find my boyfriend. (laughs) (laughs) So funny. You know, there was a great scene, right? Yeah. The old lady is just so elated. She gets the opportunity to kill this guy, Ulrich, right? Would, Would it have been better? If it was Niles Talbot who won the, the oh my the god draw. from okay right. for, so our the first episode that we covered the man who was death was the uh, he was electric- Niles Talbot who was a executioner, executioner on the electric chair electrocute people. yeah that would have been amazing but I love the granny <laughs> if you're not going to be able to get uh, Niles Talbot get this old lady. get to the granny it's like when they declare him dead she throws up her arms and celebrates yeah. oh dude so <laughs> Ulrich. Before the old lady fl- like hits the switch to fry him, he looks up at everybody and he says, I would like to dedicate this performance to my good friend, Dr. Manfred. Ooh, man. Ooh, what a dick. <laughs> <laughs> so the old lady uh, is about to pull the lever and some woman in the crowd says, shut up and cook him. <laughs> right when he's like talking about yeah. uh, Dr. Manfred, the barker goes to the old lady and says, are you ready? And the little old lady says, your ass i'm ready (laughs) this is the best episode we've covered so far i'm so into this episode and a guy in the crowd you can hear in the background he says go for it grandma (laughs) the granny flips the switch and ulrich fries the barker looks at the camera and says shocking isn't it right and this is his more graphic death he starts bleeding out of the yeah. eyes. And well, it, it in spends the pre- a long time focused on him dying. In the previous episode, I think we talked about this before we recorded. In the previous podcast, we talked about the importance of not showing the gore mm-hmm. or action, but the reaction to it. Mm-hmm. This episode, because the central theme is this guy repeatedly dying, right? They're showing you the mm-hmm. deaths, which I think is is good because the focus is on this because he dies so many times, right? And it's the fact that he thinks he's invincible. Right. And th- this is showing that he is not invincible. Like, this one hurts. Yes, yes. Because also, it does hurt. And he doesn't resurrect right away. No, it takes a while. So much Which so, leads into another great scene. So much so that it goes back to Ulrich. He says, some resurrections take longer than others. And I do actually really like the fact that we're getting narration of these stories of him repeatedly dying mm-hmm. while he's in a dying. coffin. Right. Like, I've never thought about it that way. Right. Like, the more I'm researching this episode and I'm thinking about the scenes that I'm watching, it's really smart. There's a great symbolism there. So It's such great symbolism in this whole I think, episode. I think they kind of imply that this would happen. Because it, when they're in the car, when Ulrich and Dr. Manfred are in the car, Dr. Manfred's talking about how you can destroy 1% of a man's body and kill him because of how intricately built and yes. fragile the human body is. And here we see he get he got electrocuted. He wasn't shot in the head. Right. He wasn't hung, which affects, you know, the head, the neck. He was electrocuted, which affects the entire body. Yes. So it took him longer because the entire body had to heal. Right. So now we flash to the morgue. 
in which the morgue pathologist, right before he gets to Ulrich, he looks down at another body and he says, thank you for your business. I love that. Corley bursts through the morgue and she's looking for Ulrich. She says, you can't embalm him. He's not really dead. And that's when he sits, bolts up, and the coroner flings himself backwards. So slapstick. Yes. Whoa! Whoa. And he flings himself backwards into a tray and a sink and everything, knocks everything over. over. Yeah. Yeah. The pathologist runs away in fear as Ulrich grabs Corley and is like, I missed you, honey. So that also implies that they had sex in a morgue. Oh, I didn't think about that. Ew. (laughs) Leave it to me to... It also implies that that when he's dead, he knows he's dead. And time passes for him. Yeah. I never thought about that. Right. I like how you went to like the deep psychological, like he was still alive, and I was like, they smashed. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's our different personality. Show. Something survives, you know, in him. His dick. <laughs> <laughs> and so now it goes back to the coffin, and he says, that one was way too close for comfort. The next time, I'll make special arrangements. So the next death, next spectacle mm-hmm. that he was going to perform, was a carnival game in which members of the crowd can pay to attempt to shoot Ulrich with a crossbow. Mm-hmm. The Barker says, you can pay $1,000 to shoot him in the heart or give him a heart on. Right. Lol. Uh, <laughs> dad, I'm telling you, this is the dad joke episode. Tells me <laughs> Ulrich starts to heckle the crowd and the Barker is starting to charge people $1,000. So Ulrich starts to heckle the crowd and the Barker is yelling, who wants a part of this? Who wants to pay $1,000? The first person who shows up is a sailor mm. in a sailor's uniform, and he wants to do it, but $1,000 is too steep for him, in which the Barker responds, then anchors away, Popeye. <laughs> yes. Just so funny. Ru- Robert Wall, you're the man. And so a nerd comes up. Very stereotypical 80s Poindexter nerd. nerd. Yes. Right. I guess right. I'll do it. Pocket protector, thick glasses. Yes. Right. He comes up, and he, he pays, and he grabs a crossbow, and he misses. And He almost uh, shoots Coralie. It goes through her hair. Yes. Yes. And the Barker looks at him, says, and he goes, as the French say, zito shit. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's funny. A father pays for his son, and you can tell that the father is like super demanding, like wants to toughen right. up his son. Right. The son is like adamantly like, I don't want to shoot him. And his dad says his dad says an interesting line in this point. I wrote it down. Yes. He goes, I've been killing people for a long time. Now it's your turn. Yeah. yeah. I was I even wrote like Quote, father, I've been killing people for years. What? Right. What do you mean? Right. The other guy who's here was a sailor. You're just a dude. Right. Uh, it, I thought at first this was Richard Donner because it looks a lot like Richard Donner. It's actually his cousin is the father. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. His his father, uh, his father, his cousin uh, was in the Lethal Weapon movies as uh, Mel Gibson and Danny, Danny Glover. Glover's, yeah. Danny Glover's captain. I didn't know. Yeah. That. Wow. Yeah. So he was a captain of a police force and this and this apparent, father? apparent serial killer acting is fun. So the kid intentionally misses the shot, and the dad is yelling at the son like, y- "You intentionally miss? I know you. You know whatever." An older gentleman walks up and he pays with a check, mm-hmm. in which the Barker says, "Well, for a check, I would need some identification." The old gentleman hands him his wallet just gives him his wallet he just he doesn't pull out his id he just hands him his wallet Wallet, yeah the cockiest thing you can do like just fucking take it here you go (laughs) turns out the barker looks at his id and goes oh this guy is a state fair archery champion of 1987 1987 so not only does it date the episode it also says this guy ain't missing right but all but you know like you said it dates the episode it's 87 but everything about it screams the 1950s or earlier yeah 40s the 50s right. carnival sideshow 
uh, older gentleman, he grabs the crossbow and within two seconds shoots it right through Ulrich's heart. The Barker pulls out the arrow and hands it to the old gentleman as his prize. Right. And the old man looks at it like, oh, I did it. And this is, this is, this is what I'm talking about when this episode is very cynical. Yes. There are people who are eager to pay money for the opportunity to kill somebody. There's some social right. commentary in right. this. Right. They celebrate the ability or the killing of somebody. Right. right. When they, they hand him the arrow, he looks at it in awe. And the audience is in awe of this weapon that he just used to kill a man. Right. right. It's fucked up. Right. Yeah. And I don't know if they are eager to actually kill a human being or they don't believe that this guy's actually dying and they're just happy to participate in this stunt. I honestly, because of what happens next, I think it is the act of killing someone that they are celebrating and that they are interested in. Interesting. After Ulrich dies from the arrow and mm-hmm. the crowd goes away and the show's over, the uh, backup plan that he suggested so he doesn't get embalmed mm-hmm. Uh, basically is Corley bribing a police officer right. from remo- removing the body. Right, and this is this is what I was mentioning a moment ago, is that the cynicism is reflected in him just, or Corley just paying off a cop. Right. So the cop's like, oh, I can't leave this body here. It has to go. And she's like, well, how about this? And he's like, all right, that's fine. Everyone's morals in this. Everyone, every single person you meet, they have very, very loose morals. Absolutely, absolutely. And so the next shot that they have is Ulrich is awake, Finally, and mm-hmm. he's going through his money that from his gathered winnings that he's mm-hmm. accumulated over all these deaths, and he suggests a vacation with Coralie. Yeah. So, so first, Robert Wool comes to the, they're in their trailer, and Robert yes. Wool comes and says, "Here is your gate. Here is your side bets. Yep. And here is payola from HBO." I didn't catch that. Right. Do you know what payola is? No. No, you never heard of this. So payola was this thing in the, and it still happens today. We'll get into that in a minute. Uh, Paola was this thing, and it's been around since the 1800s, where record labels and song makers would pay people to either play or perform their songs. So, like I said, this has been around since the 1800s. Music producers at the time, the songwriters, would pay bands to play their music. Because at the time, there wasn't such thing as pop music in the late 1800s. They had what they were called standards. And then bands would perform these standards. And in turn, people go out and buy the sheet music so they could perform it at home for themselves. Everyone did this. It was an open secret. Like, you know, you heard of Gilbert and Sullivan. Yeah. They did this. And it became more prominent in the, with the advent of radio. Music companies, now that pop music was emerging, they would pay DJs and radio stations to play certain songs. Those songs would go to the top of the charts and drive record sales. Everyone knew people were doing this. Yeah. It was kind of an open secret. It was actually illegal. It was a, considered a form of bribery, but no one talked about it. No one actually looked into it or did anything about it because it's just considered a, a, uh, a standard of the industry, a standard practice to do this. It started getting attention in the 1940s, and yeah. this was get, get, getting worse. And Warner Brothers threatened to sue a show called Your Hit Parade, over this practice. Your Hit Parade was a very popular weekly radio show in the 1940s. Actually, it was very popular for like 35 years. Wow. It became a TV show at one point. But they would play the hits of the week through a secret tabulation method to, ter- to determine what those hits were. In reality, the record companies were just paying oh, them to play their to songs. Say, here, it is a hit. It is a hit, right. 
Warner Brothers threatened Sue over this practice because it did hurt everybody, right? Yeah. If you weren't paying, your songs weren't getting played. They weren't called hits. They weren't called hits. So, but the lawsuit went nowhere. Yeah. Until rock and roll became popular and it got tied in with the moral panic over rock and roll. Oh. So people people start to think it was endemic to rock and roll, like all oh, these shady rock and roll companies. They're paying DJs to play this music, right? Yeah. At one point, that there were congressional hearings over payola. It was found that one DJ in Cleveland was paid the equivalent of a hundred thousand dollars today, damn, <laughs> to play certain songs over and over again. Wow, right? And it got to such a point, and there's such a moral panic over this that even President Eisenhower commented on it. So how is Ulrich getting payola? I don't know. I don't know how he's getting payola. But we'll come back. We'll come to that in a moment. Is he a musical artist too? I don't know. You're making. You're just. There's so many side (laughs) information bits. I love it. But also, it makes me think like, what's going on? They finally banned it in the 1960s. Outright banned it. And it was if you're a broadcaster, a DJ, and you get you get payola, you go to prison for a year. Mm. The record companies. That do this, they just can't write off write it off on their taxes anymore. Oh. That's their punishment. Nice. <laughs> but this still happens today. Local TV stations, almost every station, will have after the news in the morning, they will have a section that looks like news. It's a it's a, it's a show that'll be called like Good Morning Louisville or it's Louisville Today, because right. we live in Louisville, Kentucky. Let's use that for instance. What it is, it's actually sponsored content. Yes. But they don't tell you it's sponsored content. They make it look like a news program. Interesting. Right. So it is technically not payola, but they're still using the same method. Wow. Right? Now I got to know if Ulrich wrote any songs. So, anything. yeah, like, what were they doing? This like, well, after, also a DJ? after I resurrect, I'm going to go home and watch Arliss on HBO. <laughs> right. Is that, is that what they were doing? It doesn't make any sense. Right. They kind of plug their own network. <laughs> right. On the network. On the on. network. I yeah. So as the Barker gives him the money and basically Ulrich kicks him out of the trailer. Oh, he, he, he says he, he wants to be invited in or something. And he tells Ulrich, me Carney, a Sue Carney. Right. <laughs> That's so good. And uh, basically he gets the door shut in his face. Ulrich goes over to his big stack of money and he suggests to Coralie that they should have a vacation. When Coralie, this is really funny. Oh, and P- Roman Polanski wants to film his life. All of them. Yes. Yes. Yeah. They did. To, like they were talking about potential projects that they could potentially have. Mm-hmm. And so as he said, like you know, I kind of just want to have a vacation with you, take a break for a while. We've earned this money. Corley is behind him. Mm-hmm. She grabs a comb. Yes. And sh- and holds it like a knife, and then she looks at it and goes, "Oh, it's not a knife." And then she puts it down and then grabs a knife. Right. So she slapstick style kills him mm-hmm. with a knife in the back. She literally stabs him in the back. Literally stabs yeah. him in the in the back. As he dies, she grabs all the money, looks at him and says, no hard feelings, takes the bag and runs away. She says, enjoy the rest of your lives. <laughs> Everyone's so cold in this yes. episode. And then it goes back to him in the coffin. He, and he says, I got, I got one life left and this life is going to pay me plenty. Mm-hmm. He never goes after Coralie. Right. And what's funny is she says the same line that he said to Manfred, no hard feelings. Right. So everybody's yeah. just a scumbag. Yeah, the, everyone has very loose morals. No one actually has any genuine feelings for each other, cares for each other. It indicates to me that he was just using Coralie for the sex. Yeah. And once she's gone, who cares? 
Right. right. He's just more mad that he got his money taken mm-hmm. away. So to make up for that, he basically strong arms the Barker and blackmails him saying, I'm going to do a no show the next time that we have a show unless I get 100% of the profits. Mm-hmm. And the Barker says, I don't know how you can live with yourself. And Ulrich says, I don't. <laughs> he has a great line earlier with Corley yeah. says to him, I don't know how you can keep doing this. And he says, maybe this dying shit's taking years off my life. <laughs> That's super funny. So basically, the Barker has to give in and says, okay, the next performance, you're mm-hmm. going to get 100% of the profits. So this is his, he has done the math, and this is, he has one life after this. Mm-hmm. So he's going to go out, when his last performance is going to be a bang, he's going to be buried alive. So therefore, it's made the the, the complete flashback to where we sh- we were shown We've the whole story, up. and now we're back in the present. He says that I'm going to be set for life after this. As he's talking to you, he says that, now that he's at his last death that he's going to have, mm-hmm. that he thinks about the poor cat that had to die in order for him to have nine lives. At this point, he looks at this at us and he realizes, oh no, the cat died giving me this gland. And panic sets in as he realizes he miscounted. And the first life of that gland was the cat, That's, not yes. his. So I actually have the list of okay. all the deaths. All right. The first death is the cat's death in right. the surgery. Second, gun to the head uh-huh. with the Luger. Third one is he drowns. Fourth, hanging in a cowboy outfit. Five, granny electrify, electrocutes him. <laughs> Six is the car crash that kills Dr. Manfred. Seven is the arrow to the heart by mm-hmm. the archery champion. Eight is Corley stabs in the back. So this death that he's being buried alive will be his ninth he's and on his final ninth life. life. Right. So he freaks the fuck out and he's yelling and he's screaming. And at this point, he's already buried. Yes. So the whole point is that he was going to be buried and then he was going to be dug up in 12 hours. Mm-hmm. Which is a great, is a good way of bringing back those customers, though, that audience. It gets in the second pay admission a second, a second time for a yes. second show. Yeah. So this is probably my favorite moment of the episode mm-hmm. in which two gravediggers that they hear him screaming. One guy looks at the other guy and goes, Did you hear that? I thought I heard screaming. And the other gravedigger says, no, must have been a cat. <laughs> Do you recognize the second gravedigger, the big guy with the goatee and the no. bald head? He was uh, he was one of the sideshow strongmen in Batman Returns. I think he really? was the guy that Batman puts dynamite in his belly or his belt and then pushes him into a well. That's murder. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he killed the guy. And so I thought I love that part where he says, ah, it's probably a cat. And so they walk away. And then an actual cat goes on top of the grave and just chills. There's a rose beside it. Someone laid oh, a rose. Oh, there is, yeah. yeah someone, someone laid a rose. I don't know, it wasn't Corley. No, it definitely no. wasn't. As he's screaming and yelling for someone to help him while the cat is on top of his grave, the camera points at his candle that he lit from the very beginning mm-hmm. of this episode, and it burns out. Yes. Great shot. Yes, it was a wonderful way to end. No more oxygen in his casket. Right. He's gone. Oh, that's, yeah. yeah. That's a good way of, yeah. of presenting that. And then after the after the fade of black, the crib keeper is petting a black cat. The same black cat, I think. Yeah, 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 I think it was. And he says, "Poor Ulrich, he could have had it in his own show called Dying for Dollars. It could have been a game show in between Wheel of Misfortune and the Newly Dead game, <laughs> unless it was buried in the wrong time slot." <laughs> That's great. That's, he that he, he try he does that. He holds the skull up like. Yes. Like the alas, poor York speech from uh, Hamlet. 
So that is the episode. I absolutely loved it. I I had a hard time getting into this one. Really? Just because of the, like I said in the beginning, the camera angles, the tilted camera, the swooping angles, and the flashes. Because it would a like, lot of flashes. There would be a flash of another scene. If you're sensitive, scene. don't watch yeah. this episode. And there were times that things would repeat. Like, it'd show him, like, walking down the stairs twice, or mm-hmm. Robert Robert Wool's character, the Barker, and Coralie laughing. Like, they bend over, and they're laughing at each other's faces, and it shows that same, it flashes, and shows that same shot again. It, it was very off-putting to me. Oh, I loved it. I, I didn't like it No, I got into it later on, it. and I really enjoyed researching this one. Yeah. So, I don't hate it. It's just of the three we have watched so far, it is not my favorite. Right. It might be mine. Okay. <laughs> and it's super good. I'm going to give it an A tier for sure. All I right. Loved it. Yeah, that was great. I love the sense of humor. I love the acting. It's very cynical. Everyone is slimy. It's surprisingly cynical because Richard Donner, right? Like I said, he did Superman, which is a super earnest and sincere movie. Very right? optimistic. Very, very optimistic movie. He wasn't even this cynical in The Omen. Super. He is unleashed here. He is working <laughs> out something in this one. <laughs> I love it. So there goes that motorcycle again. You have a motorcycle parade. No, just an asshole down the street. Okay. Why is he? he is, okay, it doesn't matter. Anyway, you ready to jump into uh, Vault of Horror number 35? Absolutely. All right. Actually, it's Haunt of Fear number 21. God damn it. <laughs> you ready to jump into Haunt of Fear number 21? So, you ready to jump into the comic? Absolutely. All right. This is a story from... This is a story from Haunt of Fear number 21 with a script and story about by Bill Gaines and Al Feldstein and art by Jack Davis, a stunt performer renowned for his ability to survive deadly stunts, recounts his life story as he's being buried alive. Once a nameless alcoholic living on a doorstoop in an alley, he was recruited by a mad scientist for an experiment to transplant a cat's nine lives gland, this is science, into a human. (laughs) Given a new lease on life, the man is renamed Ulrich the Undying. He and the scientist start doing public displays of death-defying stunts to raise money for the scientist's longevity experiments. Eventually, embittered that he has to suffer fear and pain while the scientist does nothing, Ulrich murders the scientist in a car accident. The scientist dies with a smile on his face that haunts Ulrich. One of Ulrich's lives is used up when his assistant kills and robs him. Then, Ulrich plans his last stunt to recoup money, being buried alive for three hours. Only when he is buried alive does Ulrich realize why the scientist was smiling. Ulrich has miscounted his lives. He is on his ninth and final life. Dun, 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 dun. So, you know, we've talked about Bill Gaines and Al Feldstein in our the very first episode we ever did right. of this. Do you know Jack Davis? No. You will immediately recognize his art when you yeah. see it. Really uh, he, of course, he did this, he did this issue, yeah. right? Uh, he did almost every cover for Tales from the Crypt when it became the Tales from the Crypt comic, yeah. right? He refined the image of the Crypt Keeper. Beforehand, he looked like the Vault Keeper or the Old Witch. He made he made the Crypt Keeper more distinct and more monstrous. Wow. He added the missing teeth, the drool. You ever notice when the Crypt Keeper is talking in the later issues, he um, he has like drool or spit connecting between his teeth, yeah, right? Yeah. And actually, this is the first issue we've covered or first story we've covered where the Crypt Keeper is a host. Yeah, of the of the true. issue. Yeah, that's true. He was really known for his very distinct style. He was almost cartoony. Yeah. Were, everyone had big heads, thin bodies, and big hands and feet. Almost caricature-like. Yeah. Artwork is extremely detailed. You can look at some of his bigger works, right. larger works, and there are 
no matter how many times you look at it, you will see details you have not seen before. Absolutely. Right? Um, like I said, he did. Uh, he was an EC guy. Did a ton of stuff for EC. But beyond that, he did movie posters. He did. Um, have you ever seen the poster for a movie called The Mad 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 World? Yes. 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 He did that. Oh, cool. Our style is very distinct for that. He did. He was involved in the first like thirty issues of Mad. And then some, he left, and then sometime in the 1960s, he started doing artwork for Matt again and was in almost every issue until his death. Wow. He did covers for magazines. He did covers for Time magazine. He did album covers for bands. He did an album cover for Johnny Cash. Hell yeah. Right. Amazing, amazing artist. And to our interest here, he did the very important issue. He did the art for Foul Play. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> Which we mentioned in the, in the first uh, episode. Yeah. That was the that was the story that really got the attention of the moralizers in Congress. Baseball players using a, a, a an opponent body of an opponent to play baseball with. Right, right. He did the artwork for that. My man. Right. Amazing artist. Uh, he was he was more well known than a lot of the EC guys, but still yeah. not a household name. Right. Okay, so with this issue, it's the same kind of setup as the previous stories that we've covered, where it is the same bones, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of different paint. Yeah, I think this one, more than the other two we've covered, is is more like the TV show. Absolutely. There is only a few differences This here. is probably the issue, the story, mm-hmm. that is most closely related to its TV counterpart. There's only a few details that are changed. Like, it's not, there's no circus involved. Yeah, there's the no segment Barker. where we're talking about the changes is going to be like three things. Right. There's no, there's no Coralie. Right. He's replaced by a, or she's replaced by an assistant whose name you don't know until he betrays. Saxton. Yeah, his name's Saxton. Yeah. You don't know his name until he yells it out as, exactly. Or yells it out as he's being stabbed. Right. So the biggest changes. Uh, is basically there's no girlfriend, mm-hmm. it's an assistant, and there's some hospital bed scenes where he recovers from each death. So, yeah, so in this, he actually has to recover, and it shows he has to recover over months right. and months. Right. Because he doesn't just jump up healed. He, they show him in traction. Like, he's in a full body cast at one point. He has a leg up in a sling. Right. And, and he's not, like you said, there's no circus involved. He's just doing public just stunts. stunts. Like Houdini used to do, right? Yeah. So what, go over some of the stunts he does. He jumps out of Niagara Falls uh, in a barrel. Without a barrel. Without a barrel. I'm Without sorry. a barrel, yeah. Without a barrel. Uh, he jumps out of an airplane. Uh, he weighs himself down in a weighted sack in a river. He electrocutes himself in a chair on live TV. Mm-hmm. We'll get to like the whole story and all that stuff. Right. But like the deaths are painted differently. They're more sideshow attractions mm-hmm. in the comic than they are on TV. Right. And but the biggest difference for me is there's nothing scary about the TV show episode at mm-hmm. all to me. Mm-hmm. There's something scary in this issue, hmm. and it's Manfred's face. Yes, to me, he looked like Vincent Price. I could see that. Yeah, yeah. So basically, the Curb Keeper has an introduction. Mm-hmm. Here's our next spooky tale, and then it goes to Ulrich, who's in the. Oh, real quick, by the way. So when he introduces the story. The old witch did the previous story in this issue. So he runs he down. Shit. Yeah, he runs down the old witch and says, uh, I got the quote here. Uh, he sa- he calls her stories sissy scream scoopings. Jesus. That's good. So the Crypt Keeper talks some shit about the old witch and then says, I got a better one. Here's the, mm-hmm. um, this story. Dig that cat. He's real gone. The first panel shows Ulrich in a coffin 
are about to go into a coffin. Mm-hmm. And the announcer says that he's going to be going. The, a normal man dies within one hour. He is going to be buried alive for three hours. Three hours, yeah. And Ulrich thinks to himself, "This is my last performance. I can no longer return from the dead after this." Mm-hmm. And it's almost the exact same story. Ulrich yeah. is a bum. Doctor Manfred offers money for an operation to use a cat's and gland. And he is head. the most Nazi looking at this monocle, point. bald head, bald head. Yeah, like right. he is the the stereotypical fifties. German, right? In so, a comic. One thing I want to discuss real quick. His name is Manfred. Yeah. Okay. There was a dramatic poem written by Lord Byron in the mid, or actually almost around the same time as that party where they were with him and Percy Shelley and Mary Shelley got together to tell ghost stories that she got the impetus for Frankenstein. Frankenstein right? right. He wrote this soon after that. Oh, cool. And. He had actually fled England at the time. He was living in exile in Switzerland because he had an affair with his half-sister, and it caused a public scandal. This wasn't like, oh, some youthful indiscretion. They were both in their 30s. Oh. So he had to go flee to Switzerland because of the scandal. This The Manfred, this dramatic poem that he wrote, is about a guy who is living with some unnamed guilt that is eating him alive. So he summons spirits for forgetfulness. And they're like, no, we can't give you forgetfulness. Hmm. But they try to give him forgiveness. He's like, I don't want forgiveness. I just want to forget what happened. Yeah. So then he starts trying to kill himself. And he can't. The fates will not allow him to kill himself. Oh, wow. Like, this guy is not being allowed to die. Right? Interesting. And so at the end, he, um, he finally is able to die. And it closes with him saying, death is easy. Damn. Right. And so I think they had to know, because this was a popular thing at one time. The story was well known, this dramatic play. Right. Right. And there's a lot of references in literature to Manfred. So I think that the writers knew the story of Manfred, and this is a, a, a reference to that. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. I didn't know about that. So essentially, Ulrich is a bum. Dr. Manfred finds him in an alley and offers an operation to use the cat's gland, give him nine lives. Manfred... Sh- um, does the operation on Ulrich, and when Ulrich wakes up, exact same, almost the exact same scene where he's like, well, let's test it out, but he shoots Ulrich in the heart. Ulrich dies, and then he awakes, but he immediately agrees to team with Manfred to make some money together. Mm-hmm. And like, For his longevity experiments. Right. Which they never say what the experiments are in the show. He's just like, I'm going to continue my experiments. In this, they make it clear that this is, this is just the first step in a, a broader scheme of right. longevity. And one big change... There is no carnival right. involved. There's no Barker. Mm-hmm. There's no uh, character like that. There's no show, showgirl girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Basically, he just does a series of spectacles that gather crowds to make money. It's the first spectacle that he's going to jump off Niagara Falls without a barrel. Mm-hmm. And it shows him arms spread out like he's flying. Yes. Going over the, the, the rim of the falls. Right. And in my notes, I said, Ulrich got wrecked. <laughs> so he got absolutely wrecked. And the next panel is him, like, posted up in a hospital, mm-hmm. like, covered in bandages. His mm-hmm. legs posted up. He's completely, right. He looks like a mummy. And so he's posted in the hospital bed. And they talk about how successful it was. The second spectacle. Yeah, they get, they get, I don't, I don't remember how much they say he made. It's like $10,000. Right. I think that today is about $300,000. That's a good payday. Yeah, it's a good payday. That's a really good payday. The second spectacle is a jump from an airplane at 2,000 feet without a parachute. He belly flops in the field. Boosh. Then he's posted up in the hospital bed afterward, and he says that it takes him months to recover. Right. So this sounds like a hellish existence that he has. Because 
it doesn't matter if you're if you're not gonna die. It's still gonna hurt really bad, and you have to just to go through itself. months of pain while you heal. Which isn't the same thing in the TV episode. There's no, no, like you're posted. Like he just immediately just wakes up, or, or it takes him some time to wake up, but he doesn't. He's need healed. Recovery, and so after the second uh, spectacle, he's posted up in a hospital bed, and he thinks over the course of the next months as he recovers that he becomes upset that he only gets half while Manfred does nothing. He just keeps dying and he has to keep... Again, we see different motivations between the characters in the comic and the characters in the show, where in the show, he was just doing it out of greed. At least there's some sort of justification in the comic. Right. So he kills a doctor just out of pure greed. He wants more money. Right. In this... He is angered and upset that a doctor is not doing anything while he has to do deal with all the suffering. Right. And so he comes up with a plan, the exact same as in the TV episode where he drives a car. But this time it doesn't hit a wall. He drives the car off a cliff. Mm-hmm. And he says that as they're just about to hit the ground, Manfred is being flung in the air and he looks at Ulrich and smiles and laughs right before impact. And to me, that's the biggest change where... It's a really terrifying panel. Mm-hmm. And like we said on our social media, Instagram and Twitter, Crypt Keepers Pod, right. I'm, not, I'm going to put this panel on our social media accounts to show you. And so if you get a chance to check it out, it's terrifying. The image is terrifying. I, I, don't, I don't have it in front of me, right? But from what I remember that panel when I read it, everything is dark in that scene it's except blue. for Manfred. He right. is like in a brown color. He's not actually looking at Ulrich. He's looking at the viewer, the reader. Mm. That kind of sticks with Ulrich. And so now that he's kind of on his own, he's Mm -hmm. getting 100% of the profits. His next spectacle is to be put in a weighted sack and dropped in the river for six hours. I love the line here. My fifth life left me in the form of tiny bubbles. (laughs) That's so... There is... This is a seven-panel story. Or a seven-page story. There is a lot of story crammed into those seven pages. Right. There's a lot of layers to it. There's a lot of layers to it. it the, the writing is amazing throughout this whole story. Right. Big crowd gathers around. Now he's famous. Mm-hmm. Like, now he's a big name. Mm-hmm. So his next spectacle is going to go in a river in a weighted sack. He dies, but Manfred, because he's dead, isn't there to take his corpse away. So Ulrich actually wakes up right before an embalming. Mm-hmm. And then Ulrich says to himself, that must be why the doctor smiled and laughed as he was dying, because he thought that I would be embalmed and I would never be able to return. Nope. Nope. So the next thing that he does is to is that he hires an assistant to basically be like, mm-hmm. hold my body while I recover right. the next time. So the next spectacle is actually live on TV, and he electrocutes himself in a chair. Right. Did you notice the the, the letters written on the TV camera? NBA. NBA TV. Yeah. Yeah, they're desperate for co- for something. Right. Content when in the off season. The season's right? not going on, right. so in the off season they got to show electricity. Uh, Electrocutions. Electrocution. Sorry. <laughs> it works. He gets fried. He wakes up afterwards, and after Ulrich is counting his money, Saxton, the attendant mm-hmm. that he paid to help, he comes after him with a knife. Yes. And he just yells, are you a fool? And so basically they show off off shot mm-hmm. of Saxton repeatedly stabbing mm-hmm. Ulrich. And it's not from behind, I don't think. Like, he knows he's there. He knows he's getting yeah. stabbed. Yeah. And so and he curses uh, Saxton as right. he dies. And so that's another death. And so uh, Ulrich wakes up and it kind of flashes mm-hmm. to the next scene. And it's him narrating from the coffin, but he's starting to gasp for air. 
you could like the way they wrote it is they put periods between each mm-hmm. word. Yes. That oh, that's a that's I didn't notice that. That's a yeah, great Yeah, he was touch. gasping yeah. for air. Yeah. So he's losing oxygen. So as uh, one he's thing, he's struggling I do, to speak. Yeah. So one thing I do like. This is going to be rare. Uh-huh. I like the issue more. Than oh, the comic. I did too. I did too. Because this showed as he. So he's talking about the cat. He goes, "This is my last life." Mm-hmm. Like he's doing this. So he, while talking about his deaths, he's in a coffin and he's dying. Right. So many layers. Mm-hmm. So he basically says, "Now that I have my money taken away from me, this is going to be my last spectacle because I've counted my lives." This is the last death right. that I can afford. Yeah, he lost a lot of money when Ulrich, when Saxon, Saxon killed him. I think I looked again. I I love looking this, this stuff up. Uh, he lost the equivalent of eight hundred thousand dollars when Ulrich. Gosh, when Saxton stabbed him and robbed him. Damn. Yeah, that's a lot. So at this point, it does a really great shot. The artist does a really great panel where they, it closes in on Ulrich's eyes. Mm-hmm. He starts to sweat as he says. That poor cat had to uh, uh, risk, like, give up his life for him to have nine lives. Mm-hmm. That's when it hit him. Boom! The first life of that gland was the cat, and that's when it hits him. That that's what the doctor was smiling and laughing about. Yes, I wrote down the list of the deaths in order. Okay, just like the TV episode. First one was the cat's life. Mm-hmm. Second one was shot in the chest by Manfred. Third one was jumped into Niagara Falls without a barrel. Fourth was jumped out of plane without a parachute. Fifth was killed in the car wreck that also killed Manfred. Six was weighted sack in a river. Mm-hmm. Seven was the electric chair on live NBA TV. <laughs> Eight was stabbed by Saxton. And this is the ninth, which is a burial. Mm-hmm. Ulrich starts to grasp for air even more. And his last words was, that's why the doc laughed. Yes. Because he knew he would miscount his lives and he would kill himself. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. And then it's the same. Actually, I do like the callback from the this comic issue where the last panel is two gravediggers thinking they hear a scream. And, the, and one of them says, it must have been a cat. Yes. And fade to black. What did you think of this issue? I think you just mentioned it earlier. That yeah, I, is... I spoiled it a little bit, right. but I will say that for I would say for the most part, I will like the TV episodes slightly more because mm-hmm. than the comic because they're more modern. They tweak certain mm-hmm. things, and there's certain bits of senses sense of humor mm-hmm. that shine really well. I don't don't get me wrong, the sarcasm in the TV episode is great. Right, I love the one liners, mm-hmm. but the only thing that tips it over for me is that terrifying look that the doctor has where that's the only part that's spooky or mm-hmm. scary at all to me in either the episode or the issue. What did you think? I loved this story. I love the the work that went into it. Jack Davis's artwork. Like mm-hmm. I said, go back, look at it. You're going to notice a detail you, you never saw before, no matter how, how many times you looked at it. Right. And just the writing, that they were able to cram so much story in such a limited space. Right. right. And they, they told in seven pages what the episode took a, a half hour to tell. That's right? true. And I don't think either of them had filler, right? No. No, no. neither of them had filler. It was just, it's a masterpiece of Bill Gain and Al Feldstein's writing. Their storytelling yeah. abilities, mm-hmm. absolutely. I actually wrote on my notes that the comic got a B grade and the TV episode got an A. Hmm. 
But now that I, when I was talking about it and it like hit me how much the impression that I got from that doctor's look in his yeah. eyes, I flipped it. Okay. So the comic gets an A and the TV episode gets a B. Nice. But both are still really good. I think this is right when the traction of the TV show hits and they're This is where it gets ahead. moving. Yeah, this is where yeah. it gets moving. This is where you know the formula and the the stamp of Tales from the mm-hmm. Crypt and where it's going to go. And I thought it was a wonderful issue and I thought it was a wonderful episode. You're going to get that morality play. You're going to get that twist. And final, a little bit of sarcasm. The the end, great right. one-liners. Right. It's wonderful. I don't remember there being uh, the Crypt Keeper closing out the story. There was, but it wasn't anything. It was okay. just like, it was another thing where like, um, if you go back to the witch's story, make sure you tell her, you tell them that you read something better here with me. <laughs> It was just another jab. Right. That's one thing that I do like is that all three characters in the comics, the Crypt Keeper, the Vault Keeper, and the Old Witch, they all just shit on each right. other all yeah. the time. Yeah. That's pretty great. Yeah, I was going to say that, like the scoopings, the sissy scream scoopings, make it sound like it's something you'd get out of a calendar box. Right. 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 Yeah, I thought it was uh, wonderful. And I'm actually excited because I, capital L, love the next story we're Okay. Covering. All right. Yeah, so the next time we'll be covering... It's only sin deep, mm-hmm. based on the story from Haunt of Fear, number 24. In the meantime, if you'd like to leave a comment or question or complain or yell at us or tell us we're wrong about something, you can email us at cryptkeepershow at gmail.com, and we have social media, don't we, Ryan? We do. We yeah. are on Instagram and Twitter, at cryptkeeperspod. So like, subscribe, hit us up, tell us how bad we are, and thank yeah. you. Uh, where can they find you? They can find me on Twitter at Ryan. And you can find me at Mr. Spooky Bruce on Twitter. If you enjoy the show, please leave a rating and review on the podcast service of your choice. Share it with a friend. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. See you soon, kitties. <laughs> Directed by Richard Donner and starring Joe Pantheon. <laughs> Fuck! <laughs> you know, it's funny. I practiced at home. And I got it right every time.